The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Friends. Welcome along, everyone. This is episode 173 of The Boys of Tech for Monday, the 2nd of July, 2012. My name is Edwin Herman, and I'm joined over Skype by, first of all, Brett King. Hello. Brett, it's great to have you on the show, and I know that there are some stories this week that you're very interested in, and you probably have a little bit to say about, right? Possibly, if we haven't already talked about them today. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about them some more in just a second then And I'd also like to welcome our other regular panellist Alec Doughty Who for some reason his computer's gone a little bit haywire So he's he's joining us over Skype using his phone Welcome to the show Al Hey how's everyone doing today? You're sounding very phony (laughs) I know, I know, echo, echo Yeah that's right And uh, the low bandwidth sound, low bandwidth sound (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what if I get closer? Oh, no, no, uh, then it just distorts. distorts yeah, you start distortion. sounding like my throat. Yeah, actually, Brett's a little bit under the weather. It's going to be a bit of a funny week. Your your computer, L is under the weather. Brett is under the weather. Actually, I am too, but I'm, I'm not so well. So this I, I'm is, pretty sure I got it from you, Ed. You, do you think? Do you think yeah, I, it's what you get for dragging me out to eat cheese. Oh, that was on uh, Thursday night, wasn't it? I dragged you out for cheese and nibbles and whatnot, and, and there were drinks, but we didn't feel like any, right? No, it was def- It was a, a hot drink evening, not a, a alcoholic drink evening. Yeah. So it's funny, when you're sick, you know, just alcohol is not appealing. No. What did I have? I think a hot lemon and ginger and honey or something. Yep. I, and I then you ate raw right ginger, and, I, and you disgusted me. Do you not like ginger? I hate ginger. It, it's perfect as one of those subtle sub flavors in something, but when you actually get a piece of ginger and you get the intense ginger flavor, it makes my skin crawl. So I'm guessing, but you don't like ginger beer. Actually, I love ginger beer. Ginger beer and ginger ale—they don't taste. But, but like, they, they like do. They, ginger. They do. They taste like. No, they don't. They don't taste anything like it. Do you know? I think Australia has the best ginger beer. And they do, Bundaberg. Yeah, and well, I've actually had some homemade stuff, or you know, locally made. You could almost call it craft ginger beer, I suppose, in Australia. It's really good. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, Al, you're in Australia. Do you like ginger beer? Can he hear us? Oh, he's back. He's back. What happened? I'm back. Um, I am back to challenge tonight. Oh, this doesn't bode well for the rest of the week. <laughs> you're having a bad tech day, and we're not even out Friday the thirteenth. I know. I think we're better off if I just bow out, unfortunately. It's just not a happening thing, is it? No, no. Oh, well, look, Al, I want to thank you very much for doing the intro with us. It's been fantastic having you on for the intro. (laughs) It was a great show again, guys. Thanks. (laughs) All right, look, you go fix that phone, fix that computer, and hopefully we'll talk to you again next week. How's that? Yeah, no problem. I might have to go and shoot my computer. Yeah, well, it seems like it's in need of something. That sounds a little drastic. Surely more... Nurturing well, maybe, words. May, maybe some magnetic therapy then. 
Ah, yes, yes. Okay, look, Al, Al, look, we'll talk to you again next week. I'll see you guys later. All right, see you next okay. week. Bye-bye. All right, so Brett, where did we get to? Uh, Al, poor old Al, he's having a... He's having a bad road of technical difficulties tonight. Yes, he is. <laughs> Computer and then phone trouble. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, we'll do this on our own. In fact, just what is in our show this week? Let's just look ahead at some of the stories. Facebook makes yet another change that upsets some users. Kim.com says his latest project is still on track. And UK defence firm BAE Systems is developing a positioning system to rival GPS. That but that's not the most interesting. Well, no, actually, it's probably the most interesting one. But the second most interesting one is France. Oh, the Minitel, we've got a Minitel story as well. If you're thinking, what is a Minitel? Find out in just a second. Thank you for that, Brett. Uh, let, let's talk about, first of all, Facebook. Because Facebook recently made another change, which has polarised oh some users. Some no. are happy, some are not. I'm shocked and aghast at the possibility that Facebook has done something that has irked a large number of their users. I know. It's surprise, oh surprise. My God. It's oh my their God. track record. And- and, and let me guess, it's some kind of change which kind of severely benefits Facebook to the detriment of third parties. I know. Let's tell our users exactly what's going on. <laughs> so in case you haven't heard, Facebook has recently made a change where users' email addresses no longer show their actual email addresses that they've opted to use, such you know, their, their personal ones such as Gmail or Hotmail or whatever they're using, but instead it's replaced the default email address that shows on profile pages with at facebook.com addresses. Indeed, that random Facebook address that they gave every Facebook user back in 2010 that barely anybody uses because almost everybody on the planet already has an email address that they use. So why use at facebook.com exactly? Exactly, why use another one? So what they've done? Most people who have multiple email addresses, all they do to those other ones is forward them to their original one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Redirect them to the real one. So, Brett, what they've done, as I understand, is they've done this blanket default change to our Facebook. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they, their, you know, their reasoning for it is we made a change to the display of the email address to make email addresses more consistent across the platform. Uh, Well, you know, I I guess there's there's an element of truth to that. They are consistent because they all indeed they're consistently. Facebook That's email right. addresses that most of the people on the planet wouldn't use. But you can change it back, right? Indeed, but it's not one of those easy change backs. You know how with the timeline you can like change and alter what is displayed and what from directly from the timeline? I'll take your word for it. I don't use Facebook, but I take your oh, word for that. Well, well you can. Uh, but to change the email address that is displayed next to your name for, for you know contacting you, you actually have to go into about and into your account settings, and then into where is dis- what email you want it to display. Why Facebook? <laughs> why? Well, actually, we know why. We, we know as you said, why. It's benefited it's, them. Because- it's because they want to, once again, they want to lock in their audience. They've locked in their audience with the social networking, with, the, with, the, with that browsing, with that commenting, with the, the liking and all that sort of stuff. They want to lock you in more because while they've locked you in somewhat to the social media stuff, they can't really – it's not a – well, they're having difficulty monetizing that, as we've seen from their rather disastrous IPO. So they're coming up with other ways that they can lock you in and start to monetize you. And by having your at Facebook, the first one there, and making you go through that, they're trying to leverage what Google does with its Gmail, where if you start using your at Facebook email, which 
basically goes to your Facebook and you have to look in your messages there. It does, it's not like a connection, an email connection. You actually have to log on to Facebook to get to your messages. They will be able to track your messages, track the text that's in them and target their adverts to you based on the text that's in your messages. Kind of like exactly. what Google does with Gmail. So they're trying to, once again, lock you in in even more ways to try and monetize their 900 million users where they've been failing to monetize them previously. Like you say, it's not the first time they've done something like this. No, they, they no. They don't care though, really, do they? No, they don't give a damn, really. They really do not give a damn. They go, we've got 900 million users. If we annoy half of them, that's still 450 million users. But, you know, the way to look at it is this. No one is forced to use Facebook. This change can't be that bad because if it was, people would stop using Facebook. They can do what they like. It's their site, right? Well, yeah, yeah. They can do what they like. It, eh, and people it, aren't leaving the site in droves. In fact, no, the, the no. membership is still growing. So no, the, the, people, will, people get up in arms about it. People will argue about it. People will yell and whatever. And then it will become common knowledge the way to turn it off. And then the people who want to turn it off will turn it off. So I guess so it's just annoying. A lot of it is about the fact that Facebook is trying to leverage the fact that quite a significant number of their users will probably be not that savvy with interfaces, you know, not that savvy with going and changing settings. They will go, oh, there's a new default and not even notice or not even bother to change. And so this sort of change will just ripple over them. But by it getting up in arms and lots of people talking about it and it getting on the news and that sort of stuff, it then becomes known how to change it so that when it does alert people who otherwise might not have noticed that this change which they didn't want had rippled past them, they can then become aware and then know how to go in and change it. So I think the fact that it does make people get up in arms about it is a good thing because it then does raise the awareness, does educate people into how to interact and turn on and off these different features because that is one thing at least they have provided you still with the option of disabling it however had they done this properly as they should have putting their consumers first not themselves first which well what am i saying facebook will always put themselves first but if they actually put their consumers first like a proper company does then it would have been an option to change to your Facebook email address, but you would otherwise keep your default email address like most people had a preset to do. They say in business, the most important aspect to your business, the most important component are the customers. And yep. whilst the users aren't technically customers in that they're not paying for the service and advertisers are, they still can be considered customers in that yeah. if they go, they don't have anything. Precisely. And, and Facebook never sees it that way. It is not, you are not the the customers. You are not the users of Facebook. You are the potential money earners of Facebook. Okay? Not that you will earn money from Facebook, that Facebook will earn money from you. So that is the, that is the whole point of it. That is the whole point of it now. <laughs> now that it's got this IPO that it's got to try and live up to, it is all about attempting to monetize its users. It's putting itself first and not putting its users first, which is what it should. Now, I think the on the stock market, the share price for Facebook is is that st- is it still under the thirty eight dollar IPO price? I, I believe it's still under the thirty eight dollar IPO price. 
Wow. That, that was a bit, not, that was I, a bit, that's probably. I am pretty sure that the instant it breaks even, it will be big news. Yeah, it's actually 30, it's sitting at 31 at the moment. You know, <laughs> but this was probably one of the most embarrassing IPOs in recent history, right? Oh, the most embarrassing one possibly in history. It has gotten so many people's backs up. It has gotten so many, you know, important authority eyes raised at what is going on here. What is the deal with this? What is the dodge that went on with this happening like this? So it will be interesting to see what the results of all of these investigations that have supposedly been raised against the different partners in this IPO. Right, let's leave Facebook and talk about Kim.com. Now, recently he had a pool party held in his uh, Coatesville mansion uh, just south of Auckland. And he had your main man there as a, as a guest? Well, he? actually, Steve Wozniak wasn't there for the pool party, but he was oh, there. Oh, he wasn't at the pool party. No, he wasn't at the pool party, but he was there doing other Not things. Long before. We, well, we talked about that last week anyway. But yeah, I know. So it wasn't long before that pool party. Oh, I see. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it was roughly yeah in the same sort of uh, time frame. That's right. But anyway, but, but what the, was he doing? I bet he was celebrating something. Well, actually, the pool party, I don't think, had a specific... Uh, well, actually, maybe it was related to this. Of course, he announced last week that his plans to create the new music sharing platform, Megabox, is still forging ahead. Well, he's still got a lot of support on from some... Very big name artists. So just to tell our listeners, what is Megabox? Megabox is a platform where you can listen to music for free, provided you install an ad component. You also have the opportunity to buy music as well. And the important thing here is that what you're getting is direct from the artists. There is no middleman. In other words, mm, the music yeah, so, companies are not in this. Oh, indeed. And that will really be racking up the RIAA. Oh, that'll make you them c- even wilder. I have a sneaking suspicion that the whole mega conspiracy thing, this whole case, a part of it, because RAAA was a big part of bringing this to to fruition, wasn't weren't they? I believe was, so, yes. Was quite possibly the fact that he was about to launch on his incredibly yes. popular mega sites, a music site which was direct from artists and cutting them out of their piece of the pie. You know, I don't normally subscribe to conspiracy theories, but this looks very much well, like yeah. that. It looks if like... If you're going to talk about a mega conspiracy, you should be flipping that around and going, the mega conspiracy is the conspiracy to stop the megas. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, it does look just like what you said, that the whole mega upload thing was because they knew he was going to release uh, And they knew he had support from some big-name artists. That's right. And so what was the best way to get him? Well, find his weak point, find, a, if you like, a a weakness in the system where they've got a little bit of leverage and milk it for all it's worth if you can. And Mm. and hence we saw what we did uh, a few weeks ago with the raid. So, Brett, you're right. You have to ask yourself the question, what is this really about? Indeed. Indeed. Who are they actually trying to protect? So anyway, keep your eyes peeled for the service. It's going to be called Megabox. He said that he, the plans are still going ahead, full steam. I guess it'll launch at some point. He hasn't given a launch date, though, so he's, he's keeping stum on that. Mm. All right, now, Brett, you wanted to talk about NavSOP. This is BAE Systems. They're a UK defence firm. That's their answer to GPS. It's mm. a positioning system that relies not just on satellite. In fact, not on satellites, but instead what? On basically almost every sort of signal that is currently populating the airways around the planet. Yep. Wireless, TV, radio, mobiles. 
Yep, yep. All those different signals. It's a system that they've called, as you said, NAVSOP, so navigation via signals of opportunity. And it's where you have the device and the device is picking up all the different signals that are bouncing around from all of the different devices generating them and using those signals to determine its position. But can you imagine the amount of overhead in managing the system? Every time a radio station starts up somewhere or adds another transmitter or removes a transmitter, they need to know about that. No, they they don't. That's the point about it. I was reading the abstract of a paper which was talking about these navigation via signals of opportunity. Unfortunately, I only got to read the abstract uh, (laughs) before the show. But it's talking about how it uses two different devices You've got the device which you're using to determine your location, and it's picking up the different signals that are going. And then there is another device somewhere else, which is also picking up these different signals. And it's using a time code, the difference between time received for these different signals. Oh, for so the two are, different are you devices. saying they've dotted around the world or will be dotting around the world some known positions? I don't know, possibly. Because possibly. You, know, you know what I'm saying. Like, say, But this could, once again, as I said, I was reading an abstract from actually several years ago. So this right. could have been one of their first proofs of concepts where they were using two different devices, one device um, that talked to each other. This new device, because we've got actually very little information about the, the actual device itself, but what they're saying is that the beauty of it is there's no need for infrastructure. Infrastructure is not required it's at all. Yeah, it is well, the, okay. the actual so in, device. In that case, so here's the thing, Brett. They must, they need to know where these signals are coming from. Like, take, for example, my radio, my little low-power FM station, Mix FM. Mm-hmm. Now, how do they know where my Mix FM transmitter is? Yeah, yeah, they don't know yeah. that. They need to plug that into their database somewhere. Once yeah. they know where that is and they've got that in their database of that transmitter is in this location, these mm-hmm. you know, these coordinates, then a device that uses NAVSOP can can then look at, well, how strong is this signal, how strong is that signal, and yeah. based on knowing where those yeah, points yeah, yeah. of reference are, so they can it, work out where in, it is. So my, my point that it will be based on these different base signals that's right, that are but my positioned point, around the place. Yeah, well, or, or that it might be a two-device system where you actually have, if you are off, you know, off tramping somewhere where there's very bad GPS signals, you will instead have your mobile system and you will place a base system somewhere else. No, you see, I think what they're doing is similar to what Apple is doing and what other, uh, there's a number of, a whole bunch of other companies that are doing what, as just well. databasing these signals that's, that are flying around. That's what I think. But that, how would then they be able to come up with, well, how would they support their claims that it can um, not only shrug off um, jamming because of the sheer number of signals that it can use? In fact, well, that's it why. can that's use exactly the jamming why. signal itself to help determine its position. Well, exactly. So if you've got a prison nearby and there's a cell phone jammer at the prison, it can listen for that signal. It knows where it is and what type of signal it yeah, is. Yeah, but you can use it inside buildings. You can use it in the wilderness where there's bad GPS and bad signals. Yeah, because there are other signals coming through. There's radio stations coming through and all that. Those, the radio stations go right through buildings, right? Mm. So all it needs to know is where those where the source of those signals are. I see how that would work with their claim that it requires no infrastructure. Because it doesn't. They're using, they're using other infrastructure. But you're, the, saying that, you're saying that it does require infrastructure because you, re, you are required to scan and predetermine the signal strengths, et cetera, of all of these different signals that are occurring and database them and have that available. Oh, yeah, because that's a point. How does it know? That's interesting. Precisely. So obviously, if for their claim to be true, there is something else which we have not yet been told about 
Um, they're not saying very much about it, are they? No, yeah, no. They're not even they've, saying they've made these different. Uh, that it also uses GPS signals if it can find them as part of the signal landscape to determine where things are. But it can work anywhere. It can work in remote parts of the world, inside buildings, underneath, underneath the ground, anywhere where there's other signals that it can pick up. Now, BAE are not even saying when the technology is going to go to market and whether that's for civilian or military needs. Well, you'd think that it'd probably go military first since the BAE systems is part of the UK defence firm. Well, yeah. Uh, (laughs) But um, it wouldn't surprise me if it came out as civilian a civilian version as well, because there would be tons of companies clamoring for this sort of technology. Now, the thing is, with positioning systems that are run by defense organizations that make them open to yeah, civilian use, oh, GPS, they tend to, GPS... Yeah, they tend to, oh, you know, fuzz with the plus or minus what. Well, there <laughs> is that. It's less accurate, but that's not the point I was going to make. The point is, is there's no guarantee. They can pull those at any time, and GPS is one of these. Well, and, that's the point of this one, that because it's supposed to have no infrastructure, be resistant to jamming, etc., if you have one of these units, regardless of what anybody tries to pull, you will still be able to find out where you are. Well, because that depends they on how that, the other that, signal that is going on. Yeah, but that depends exactly how it works. So, so we'll need to yeah. find a little bit more information about the, if their the claims are it. accurate. It's very awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think they're deliberately not saying a lot. But uh, anyway, <laughs> let's let's leave Rather that. Putting out some pretty impressive claims. Well, let's leave that there. And uh, still in Europe, the Minitel. Now, the Minitel is a little box that connects to your phone line that is found pretty much exclusively in France that very few people outside of France have even ever heard of. I know. And how long are, How long has it been around for? I think like, since the 80s, wasn't it? Yeah, 30, right? years. 30 years. It has been around. It has been provided in France for 30 years for free by the telcos. And how many of them were there? Was it there 9 million? Like, no, I think there's 9 million. Yes, at its height, there were 9 million of them, 25 million users. Right now, as they are about to make them defunct, there are still 800,000 of these terminals wow. in use. People still use them for doing their daily transactions, ordering shipments of different things, doing banking, booking train tickets. It's an amazing thing that the French developed. They Put out there before the internet, before the World Wide Web, and well, the internet was still around, but not not as we know it. If that's, yeah, that's what you're saying, really, no, before the internet as we know <laughs> this it, this was yeah. basically nationwide. This is a nationwide network. Yes. Now the thing is, the minute so as you, it's a text-based terminal, as you say, that's connected to. I guess the best way to think about it is it's an alternate. It's an alternative internet, if you like. It's yeah, obviously yeah. text-based only. And yeah. it did really, really well. It was very popular, yeah. as you said. Massively popular. And they're now pulling it. Popular. They're now basically turning the whole thing off. The one thing they never did, they never did, was they never exported it. It was just, they tried. At, some, at one point, they tried to export it. It never caught on. But it, it was huge on. in France. It's absolutely huge. I think... One of the things which would have stopped it catching on is the reason it caught on in France. The telcos provided the device, the Minitel box itself, for free 
to and their customers. Now, they could do that, of course, because whenever you use it, it connects to your phone line, makes a call, and the call costs, and that's yep. how they recoup their money. Yep. And by allowing the Minitel device to facilitate a, a wide number of services and transactions, they guaranteed its usage. And that is how they were able to do it. And that sort of, yeah, that sort of system just, I could not see being pulled off in basically any other country of the world. You know, Brett, it was kind of weird because back in You'd the- You'd have to buy the box first in America, even if you were then pa- paying through the teeth for each service. Do you know, it's kind of weird because back in the 90s, when I was telling my father about the internet, when I, I discovered the internet in, in the mid 90s, and, and he says to me, Oh, well, we kind of had a, a similar system. There, in, back in France, there was a similar system, you know, at least 10 years prior, back in the 80s. And I'm like, really? Are you sure you're remembering this correctly? And I think that he I was talking about this. I think your dad was talking this. about the Minitel. He was. Now, he, I don't <laughs> think he had one himself, but he'd, he'd heard of them and he'd seen mm. them. But he was very vague on, on the detail. And I'm like, are you sure? Or was that something? Well, you're talking about faxes, maybe. Are you thinking about faxing orders? And he's like, no, no. There was, was a, I'm sure there was a screen. And I'm like, really? And I, I wasn't sure whether he was mixing oh, things you're up. you have to apologize to your dad now for being <laughs> – For doubting for, him. For thinking, yeah, for doubting him. Yeah, I think he was, he was talking about the you about something really awesome and you, you were you – were, just brushing him off. Well, you know, I was, to be honest, he was he was fairly vague as well, you know. It was a long <laughs> time ago and he was, and he, I don't think he had one personally. So, yeah. so to, to be fair, you know, he, he was he was pretty vague and I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm not quite, quite getting this. But, you know, looking back, I think he was talking about the Minitel. Yeah. And what was one of the other firsts that the Minitel did? I don't know. Was it a... a, a, a Internet, cyber sex. Oh, cyber sex, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it introduced oh, the yes, first there was an, there cyber was sex into adult the chat rooms, weren't there? Yep, there were adult chat rooms. Yep, that's where right. Where you were paying to, to chat to some guy pretending to be a girl, fulfilling your fantasy. <laughs> so nothing's changed really, has oh, it? Oh, really? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. So we now, Brett, 30 years on, we farewell the Minitel. That's, farewell that's why we brought this story up. It, it's been decommissioned. It a nice-looking device? Yeah, in fact, it, I'll tell you what. You, go- you think of it now as being kind of clunky and big, chunky buttons and stuff, but when you think about it being for its its audience and its, its just ease of use and its interface, it is a brilliantly divine device. Yeah, Google it, actually, folks. Go to Google Images. Minitel, and let us know if you Minitel. think it looks suspiciously like what the apples turned out to yeah, look like. Yeah, the Mac Classic. Yeah, it, it looks suspiciously like what yeah. the apples turned out to look like well after the fact that the Minitel had been developed. <laughs> yes. So the Minitel was actually uh, devised in 19... In the 70s. Uh, sorry, 1982. Well, it was released in 1982. Yeah, it was dreamed up in the 70s. Well, yeah, that's right. It was dreamed up in the 70s, experimentally rolled out in the 78 throughout France in uh, in 1982. Yeah. And, yeah, you're right. It's uh, Google it or Wikipedia or Google Images. There's some good ones on Google Images of it. It's kind of cool. And you know what? I, I feel so ignorant, but I, I'd never really heard of this. And the thing is, outside of not, France, neither, not many people did. I read this story. This is like, oh, my God, how did I not know about yeah, exactly. this absolutely cool thing? Yeah. <laughs> now, of course, it and, is text, text only, but that's what oh, yeah, we had in those days. So, no, indeed. 
indeed. Of, for its time, and, it was and very advanced. It, it, yeah, very advanced, and it facilitated millions of transactions with its ease of use. That's right. You could book tickets, like you said. You could order things. Yeah, and there are people still using it. I know. That's the thing. There are people still using it. Well, up until the very last... Uh, when are they turning yeah. this thing off, by the way? When does oh, that go? I, uh, oh, oh it's Saturday. actually, it's been pulled off this weekend, I yeah, think it was. Yeah, yeah, On Saturday. That's Two days right. ago, they turned it yeah, off. A couple of days ago, it's it was turned off. So there, there were people using it up until a couple of days ago. And as is traditionally French, the French do do like, well, what would you call it? They get sentimental about lots of sorts of interesting things. And this is one of the things that a lot of people have gotten really sentimental about, the closing down of the Minitel. So there are all kinds of parties and newspaper memorials and all sorts of things reminiscing about the That's Minitel. Right. Yeah. Uh, this absolutely wonderful device, which I never knew existed. Well, you know what? And it was, it the was perfect a device way of... that it was rolled out and and. For, and Utilized. The thing is, it, it, it was a just de- so, device of- so elegant, and what a good way to do it. It's not a you pay for this device and then you pay for the services. No, it's a we give you the device, which you must admit that thing at that point in time must have cost a fortune to build, and it was given out to all of the customers of the telecoms, and they recouped the costs through the. Thirty years worth of services, <laughs> you know, and, and it was also a piece of technology of national pride, and that's why there are farewell parties for it because it was something uniquely French and very successful, yeah, and of course very proud, French made them very innovation proud. and a yeah. There we go. I've learned something today, and probably so have you. I'm looking at the uh, at our listeners right now. Unless, of well, course, you're in France. I'd and, and, you as well, because I'd never heard of it either, and I think it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think that it's kind of cool. I, I had no idea. I read so much about it after that, when I saw the story that they're turning it off. I thought, what is this thing they're turning off? And I was just quite surprised at what it did. Yeah. So, unless you're in France, you've probably never heard of it either. Now, Brett, let's talk about Microsoft accidentally blocking a Free Software Foundation website. I think uh, this is a bit, probably a bit of a media beat-up, I think. Uh, I think so. It, it's definitely a... Um bit of a a point to bash about, but it's, you know, it's a valid point to bash about. Microsoft's web filtering software had blocked the donation site for the Free Software Foundation, claiming that it was a gambling site. <laughs> so the, the executive oh, no. director of the Free Software Foundation has submitted a correction to Microsoft asking them to recategorize the website as being <laughs> a non-profit advocacy NGO site, not a gambling site. So but the executive does, director of uh, Free Software Foundation is John Sullivan, right? Yeah. He, he doesn't think it's deliberate though, does he? No, no, he doesn't think it was deliberate it would be a you know a massive kick in the face uh to microsoft in fact if they had made this deliberate that would be like really just bad play bad play yeah they, they wouldn't know <laughs> would they they're not that silly indeed that would be a, a small child's tantrum that, that that would be something facebook would do oops <laughs> i said that i, I didn't oh, nice mean one. that i didn't mean that. maybe <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it probably probably would be. The thing is, people are kind of making a story out of this because Microsoft don't exactly, uh, haven't got the best track record, if you like, in playing friendly with the uh, free software initiatives. Uh, well, no, they've got an on and off track record, as you pointed out a few episodes ago. The same with Apple. They've both, in the past, contributed quite significantly to open source efforts and open source systems. 
but they have they both have very hot and cold attitudes to different aspects of free software. So we don't think it was deliberate. It was just a little accidental thing that a lot of people noticed and it now has become a little bit embarrassing for Microsoft. It but, has become a little bit embarrassing. if they fix it soon, but it'll it be the end of that, right? also does, John Sullivan does have some pretty wise words about putting all of your eggs in one basket, putting all of your trust in somebody else. And so you employ this one company's security system, this one filter system, and you put them in charge of your web filtering and saying that you have security by doing this when in fact you don't have security doing this because you are you don't have control yourself. You are putting that trust into somebody else. And that is taking that control out well, of you. Well, that, that comes down to the selling point and the, the companies that provide this. And there are a lot of them doing it. Microsoft's just one of many. I and know. That comes down to them building up a trust and showing how reliable they are and how accurate their filtering system is. And this is the case in point where their accuracy falls down. A big case in point. You can't get any closer to being not a gambling site than the donation page of the Free Software Foundation. Oh, yeah, that's true. I guess there is that. I wonder if it's because there's money being transacted that... I then mean, is PayPal blocked? If they are blocking it purely by the first tick being, does this website support the giving of money to no, someone No, no, I'm not suggesting that. Tick, but it's but, gambling. No, obviously there was an error, but my point is part of that error might have been contributed by the fact that there is a payment system. But I'm certainly not suggesting that they're going around looking at all sites that have a payment system, but I'm, I'm just, I, I think that might have been, if you like, the component that blinded them, if you like, when they were categorizing that site. Anyway, Brett, let's call that a show. That was episode 173 of New Zealand. 173? Yeah. Holy cow. Well, you know what? Speaking of... 173. We've done a lot. Two episodes and it's one and three, one and three quarter hundreds. Exactly. Holy cow. We should have cake. (laughs) Speaking of which, let me give you some stats. Not counting this episode, we have done a total of 172. We've produced a total of 112 hours of audio. Whoa. Each episode averages 39 minutes. We have covered... 1,215 topics. (laughs) Yeah. And that's an average of seven topics per episode, uh, which translates into an average duration on each episode as six minutes. We spend, you know, on average six minutes per topic. Wow. There are some stats for you. Now, that's a lot lot of audio, 112 hours of audio. uh, No wonder we are the longest running New Zealand tech podcast. Exactly. And on that note, Brett, let's wrap it up. Thank you very much for co-hosting the show with me. Always a pleasure, Ed. And we did have Al on for the intro, but of course he had technical difficulties and had to bow out. (laughs) So Al, if you're listening back, uh, well, you know, I hope that by this time next week, your computer and your Skype and your phone are all working perfectly well, because we'd love to have you back on the panel with us. All right, that's it, folks. Thank you very much. See you all again next week. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye.
Sal, are you, are you still there? Al, are you having? Te- I think you're having technical difficulties. Di- 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 I'm having talking difficulties. Al, I think you're having technical difficulties. Di- <laughs> yes, I am having technical difficulties with my phone. 